Welcome to Cornerstone Church of Parker and our Sunday service webcast, which is connecting you to God's Word anywhere over the internet. We're glad you're joining our webcast today and pray that God will minister to you as we share His good news in Christ Jesus. And now, with a message from God's Word, here's our speaker for today. Did you just sit down? I think you did. Why don't you just get your Bibles out to uh, John chapter 21. John chapter 21, please. And if you don't have a Bible with you today, but you would like one, just slip a hand up and we'll make sure that you get one. John chapter 21. We're just going to read through the first uh, seven verses here. John is in the New Testament. It's the last of the Gospels uh, accounts that were written. And John writes here, uh, in my Bible it's titled Epilogue. Jesus appears to his seven disciples. Verse 1 says... Later, Jesus appeared again to the disciples beside the Sea of Galilee. This is how it happened. Several of the disciples were there, Simon, Peter, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, Nathaniel from Canaan and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples. Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. Well, we'll come too, they all said. So they went out in the boat, but they caught nothing all night. Any fishermen ever have that sort of a, an outing? Not a whole lot of fun. Well, as they, at dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach, but the disciples couldn't see who he was. He called out, fellows, have you, have you caught any fish? No, they replied. Isn't that the last question anybody who hasn't caught any fish wants to hear? Have you caught anything? No, nobody wants to answer that, right? He says, you know, throw out your net on the right side of the boat and you'll get some. And so they did. And they couldn't haul in the net because there were so many fish in it. Then the disciples, then the disciple Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his tunic, for he had stripped for work, jumped into the water, and headed to shore. Father, we just come before you today in Jesus' name. We thank you so much for uh, these scriptures that John recorded, this story, and what it means for us today. Lord, I pray that you would just speak to each one of our hearts. Let us leave here with just a, a closer relationship with you and, and just a realization that that our sin is not the end, God. And resurrection changed everything. Give us a new beginning. We thank you for that new beginning in Jesus' name. Amen. The resurrection changed everything. We're going to see that today in Peter's life. Because of the resurrection, we know what the cross was about. We know what Good Friday was about. Um, if we only consider the cross or if we only consider Good Friday, then it's kind of a... Not kind of, it is. It's a sad story, you know, especially considering all the wonderful things that Jesus had done and had accomplished. His death, would have, uh, if the, his death was the, the, final, the final event in his life, how, how tragic that would have been. But it wasn't. Jesus didn't stay in the grave. Uh, we see that the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ is God's love just coming to us, freeing us from sin. God in his love overcoming death. God in his love announcing that one day a new creation will come. Because of the death and resurrection of Jesus, we see the love of God. And so when we look at Jesus, we can say, this is love. Ultimately, we know love because he showed us love in this way, into this extreme. And so today I want to talk to you about God's love. But before I get to that, I want to talk to you about this first part, this first part about God in his love freeing us from sin. Now, sin is 
Sin is not a popular word. And I have found, just in conversations with people, that it can be kind of a confusing word as well. So let me, let me start you out with a little story to help illustrate this. So there's a dad, and he's sleeping. Okay, it's like Saturday morning, and for sleeping in, it's maybe 7. But his kids beat him up in the morning, right? And, and they're hungry. And so they, they get up. They're, they're young. They're like 6 and 4, you know. And so they can, they're tall enough to get in the cereal cupboard. They get the cereal. You know how kids do. They get on the counter. Like they pull a chair up. They climb up on the counter. And then they get their bowl down, right? Well, these kids are no different. They get their bowl. They get their cereal. They pour it in. They put the milk in. And just as one of them is putting the cap on the milk, takes the jug like this, t- knocks the bowl of cereal and milk and everything all over the floor. It crashes. And the dad, he wakes up. He's like, whoa, what was that? You know? And he, so he's starting to get out of bed. And the kids, they're scrambling because they know that dad probably heard this. Okay? And they're nervous. They're really nervous. So they think, let's get the vacuum. Let's get, you know, that's the best way to clean up milk and cereal, right? Maybe if you have a shop vac, right, but not a regular carpet vacuum, but that's what they had, and so they get that out, plug that thing in, and they start vacuuming up the pottery and the milk and the cereal, and at that point, they figured one of them should be like a delegate to go meet dad as he's coming down the stairs, and so the older one decides she's up for that task and goes and meets dad before he can see the kitchen in full view. Dad, how are you? Good morning. Good to see you. Boy, you, your hair is looking great, you know, and uh, you know, what's going on down here? He comes down, and, we, and they see, and uh, the dad is like, man, why, why didn't you guys just ask for help? Not just help with cereal, but also help with cleaning this mess up, right? And I think a lot of times we are just like those kids, you know, and, and, and this dad, he, before these, his kids could even answer, he knew the answer was apparent that, you know, asking for help is hard enough, but asking for help after you've already made a mess, that is way, way harder. It's in our nature that when we, we make a mess, we tend to want to try to clean it up before someone else can see it right? Especially our dad. How many of you guys know what I'm talking about? Absolutely. And, you know, we're a lot like that with the Lord sometimes. You know, we, we, we make some bad choices. We try to do things on our own. We try to move independent of him. And sometimes we make a mess and, and we resist asking for his help because doing so is, is uncomfortable. It means that we're at fault. It means that we've got to say we're sorry. And that's just kind of an uncomfortable feeling. It's an uncomfortable place to be. And so we'd rather deny it. We'd rather ignore it. We'd rather recover on our own or even justify our actions. But admitting it is, is painful. And yet it won't go away. That feeling that we've fallen short, that we've failed, eats away at us. And I'm not talking about cereal and milk anymore. I'm talking about some of these big choices that we've made that we look back and we go, man, what was I thinking? Where was I going with that one? You know, our culture doesn't really have a word for this because we tend to psychologize things. We tend to psychologize our shortcomings uh, and, and recast them. It's, this is a, a really... Uh, popular move these days is we recast our shortcomings as someone else's fault, someone else's failure. 
We are the way we are because of our parents. We are the way we are because of, of our community or the poor education we received or some other way that someone has failed us. And, and perhaps somebody has, perhaps some system has failed us. Certainly systems do carry part of the blame, but it doesn't erase the problem. If anything, it, it expands it. And it shows us that more than just us are at fault. More than just us have failed. And so what's the word for that? The Bible's word for that is sin. Sin is the sense of missing the mark or failing to be who God created us to be. It's a falling short of his original vocation for us. This first calling that God has for you and I to be his image bearer in this world. I don't know if you've ever thought about that, but especially if you're a follower of Christ, you are bearing the image of Christ. You are the only Christ that many people would ever see. And he doesn't expect you and I to bear that image perfectly. That is the wonderful news of the gospel. Because not a single one of us could ever reflect his character or make the choices that he would make 100% of the time with with 100% efficiency. And yet, he doesn't, that's not an excuse to not do so. So even though we go out as, and sometimes bumble things up, you know, and, and even despite our love for him and our love for others, we still make poor choices. We still bear his image, and he is not uh, afraid of us doing so. Sin is also a rebellion or a, a turning away from God. It's a, it's a decision to move against him or independent of him. When we live our lives contrary to the way he would like us to, he calls that sin. Specifically, if you attend here often, you hear me talk about our critical relationships and how God has described how he likes those relationships to function. And so when we cross those lines or move out against those ways that he wants us to, then that is what he calls sin. Ultimately, though, sin is a power. Sin is, with a capital S, it holds us uh, captive. It paralyzes us. And one of the main ways, as we'll see today, that, that sin tends to uh, paralyze us is with shame. It tends to paralyze us with shame. So we, we see that altogether, sin is a dead end. It's, it's, a, it's a game over of sorts. But what do we do now? That's the real question. What do we do now? Well, there was a follower of Jesus who had fallen short in a, a spectacular way. Not good spectacular, just an amazing way. I mean, he was not just a, a, a follower or just merely a disciple. He was actually one of Jesus' closest friends. And his sin wasn't just a, a crossing a line or some minor departure or coming up a bit short. It was that he did, flat out denied Jesus three times. You probably know his name. His name was Peter. Now, after Jesus had died and was put in the tomb, Peter had, he just decided, you know what, I'm going to go back to my old way of life. He still seemed to be around the disciples. If you read through these passages, the gospel accounts here, just post uh, Jesus' death and burial, we see Peter around. For instance, when uh, the good news was announced that Jesus was alive, Peter and John ran to the tomb. Now, John was, seemed to be more excited, or perhaps he was just simply a faster runner. I'm not sure. But John, John got there first, right? And we see John speaking. He sees the, uh, the, the clothes that are wrapped and folded very nicely, set in the empty tomb. But we don't know what Peter thought because it's not recorded, right? 
Jesus appeared to Mary in the garden. He called her by name. And I'm sure Mary went and reported that to the disciples. But we don't know what Peter's response to that was. Jesus appears to his disciples. They were behind a locked door. He passes through. And Thomas is there. And he has to see the the wounds uh, that Jesus has. Uh, and, and expresses belief again. But we don't know what Peter's response. Was Peter there? All we know is that at some point Peter says, as we read in John chapter 21, I'm going fishing. I'm going fishing. And so he heads back kind of to his old life. And we see that there were several. I didn't count exactly how many. It looked like there were seven maybe that were going back with him. But they went fishing. Maybe they were trying to encourage their friend. Maybe they were just trying to keep him company in the midst of his, his shame. We don't know. But John 21.3 says, I'm going fishing. And they said, we'll go with you. So they set out in a boat. But throughout the night, they caught nothing. Now, if we think about Peter for just a second, and think, what is this guy feeling? I mean, fishing, at least the times I've been fishing, it's the guys that, you go, that I've gone with, they don't do a whole lot of chatting. There's a lot, of, a lot of good mind time out there, a lot of sorting things out as you, you're kind of doing nothing but doing something, right? Isn't that what fishing is about? <laughs> kind of relaxing, doing nothing but doing something, right? And so they're probably doing a lot of thinking through the night, and I could just imagine Peter thinking, you know, okay, maybe Jesus is alive, but, you know, I don't want to face him. That would be too hard. How do I come back and, and face this, this, my friend, one of my best friends who I denied three times? Somehow just saying I'm sorry wasn't going to cut it. So how could Peter recover from this? I mean, he was supposed to be the leader. He was supposed to be someone that others looked up to. He was the one who stepped out of the boat and walked on water. He was the one who first confessed that Jesus is the Messiah. Now he denied him. How could could he regain any credibility with his friends? Frankly, I'm surprised they were still hanging around him. But here they are. They're fishing. I think this is a good place for us to stop and think about, about Peter in the shame that he felt. You see, this is exactly what shame does. Shame isolates us. It, it tells us that, that we're the only ones. I know Peter. He felt he was the only one. And yet we see in Scripture that it specifically says that they all fled. All of the disciples fled. He wasn't the only one. And yet he, didn't, he wasn't thinking that. He just, all he could run through is just over and over in his mind the ways that he failed. That, and I'm sure he was thinking, you know what, that this is, uh, no one else has sinned quite like this. Uh, it, I'm the exception. I'm the only one. I'm the one who can't be forgiven. I have gone too far. Um, I've gone past this point of no return. There's basically no hope for me. Shame tends to tell us that it's game over, that this this sin, this choice that we made, it's the end. There's no coming back from that. And it's true, in a sense. Sin is a dead end, or as the Bible puts it, the wages of sin is death, Romans 6.23. So shame, the, the actual kind that comes from actual guilt, is not a liar. It just tells us half the story, right? When we do something, we feel bad about that. We feel like we've breached our relationship with the Lord or with someone else, and we feel bad about that. That's, that's not wrong that we feel bad, but it's only half the story. Because if it stops right there, the story ends without Jesus, then we are without hope. But the resurrection changed all that. The resurrection changed it. We have hope. That's not the end. When we've 
feel bad and we recognize what we've done, we can come to the Lord and ask for His help. And so here we see Jesus showing up that day in the middle of Peter's fishing trip. John 21, 4 through 7, if you still have your Bible open, look at that again with me. It says, early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples didn't realize it was Jesus. So Jesus called to them, fellows, have you caught anything to eat? They answered him, no. He said, cast your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they did, and there were was so many fish they couldn't haul in the net. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved, speaking of John, said to Peter, it's the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard it was the Lord, he jumped into the water. Now what I love about that is that Jesus is coming to where Peter is at. He didn't send him an Evite and say, hey, why don't you meet me over here, right? He came to where Peter was at. Even though Peter is trying to retreat to his old familiar place, Jesus came to where he's at. And he didn't just meet Peter there, but in a way he reenacted Peter's first calling. Remember when he first called Peter? Called him out of the fishing boat. Come and follow me and I'll make you a fisher of men. You see, the first time Jesus called Peter, it was about a purpose. But the second time Jesus called Peter, it was about a person. Which is why he asks him, if you continue reading in that chapter, he comes to Peter again and again and again. And three times he says, Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me even like a friend? Are you still my friend? Implied, because I love you. Do you love me because I love you? Three times Jesus asked Peter this question. And I know there's a whole sermon in that for us. But for today, I want you to see this. I want you to see that when we retreat in shame, when we kind of go back because we just feel like we've gone too far, Jesus comes after us again and again and again. How many of you are so glad that he's come after you again and again? His love will never stop chasing us. His love will never stop chasing us. I think the one thing Peter failed to understand and so many of us understand is that when God calls to us and we have this first realization that God truly loves us, he, he doesn't say, you know what, why don't you get, get cleaned up first? Why don't you make your life right? Why don't you get your marriage in order? Why don't you get your relationship with your kids straightened out? And then let's talk. Let's, then when, when you have that, then let's, let's you and I have a relationship. God, he's not like that. Not the first time. Not the next time. Not the last time. He's never that way. I don't, I don't think we fail. I think we fail to understand that at no point in our earthly existence, does God ever expect a one of us to make it on our own or to perfect ourselves or to ever be perfect in, in any way? That should set somebody free. should take a lot of your pressure off, right? To realize that, you know what? It's by faith and faith alone in what Jesus did. It's by faith in saying, you know what? I could never please God. I could never be the husband or the father or the, the wife or the mother. I could never be anything that God wants me to be without his help. And so even when we mess up, it doesn't change that fact. It doesn't lessen it. doesn't make it any, any greater. And so I see Jesus chasing Peter today. And what Jesus did for Peter, he wants to do for us. I just love how uh, Jesus comes and, and restores them. If uh, you open, please, to John chapter 20. Let's read four, five more verses here before we close. 
John chapter 20, 19 through 23 reads, on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. And when he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I'm sending you. And when he said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold this uh, forgiveness from any, it is withheld. And so we see the risen Jesus. This wasn't a, a resuscitation. He was resurrected with a new body, a transformed body, much like if you were here a couple weeks ago, we talked about the transfiguration, much like that, that glorious body that he had before. And he breathes new life into them. He breathes new life into them. They were there in fear, feeling like everything was lost. And he comes, he speaks peace to them, a freedom from all fear, and he breathes new life into them. This resurrection life. And there's no more fear, no more shame, no more guilt, just peace. Just this true sense of being put back together. That, that you know what, everything between me and God, it's going to work out. Between me and my, my spouse, between me and my kids, as a follower of Christ, it's going to work out. This new life, this peace, this freedom from all fear. And more importantly, we see that because of the resurrection, there in that last verse, sins can be forgiven. Think of it. Our sins, before Jesus died and rose again, there were animal sacrifices that Hebrews tells us could never take away, could never take away sins. They only kind of shoved them off, kind of pushed them off, kind of set them aside for a minute. Never really got rid of them. But Jesus, faith in Christ, Jesus' resurrection allows those sins to be forgiven. And so when we come to the Lord and ask for forgiveness, it's like, yeah, sure, they're gone. One psalm says, as far as the east is from the west, cast our sins from us. How many of you are really glad that he doesn't bring that stuff up to you again? You know, people will do that, right? People will do that. You do something wrong, it's like they write it down, right? And they go back to it. You know, back on that day, this, this, that was 10 years ago. I don't even remember that. People will do that to you, but the Lord doesn't do that to us. He doesn't do, it's gone. You bring it up, he's like, what? I don't remember that. I'm thankful for that. The resurrection changed it. The power of sin that broke us, the power uh, that, that held us captive, that was broke. Jesus' resurrection set us free. To be forgiven is to be free. Free from guilt, free from shame, free from the power that enslaved us, free from those destructive habits that tended to destroy our relationships. And not just freedom from those types of things, but free to be everything that God wants you to be. Free to be who he made you to be, to reflect his image, his wisdom, his love into the world. Peter's life changed that day. Jesus met him where he's at. Set him free from those, that shame. I wonder if each time Jesus asked, do you love me? A little bit more of that, that, that shame, that hardness of heart, just all that, those negative feelings just started to wash away little bit by little bit until by the end, he was kind of back to his old self, like, okay, I believe. 
I can have this relationship with you. And I'm sure that Peter was extremely thankful for the forgiveness that Jesus was offering. And so this morning, as we celebrate the resurrection, I just want to remind you of what the resurrection means for us. If you're a follower of Christ, then he has set you free. You don't need to live in shame. You don't need to live in fear. You don't need to uh, expect yourself to be perfect. Does it mean you're not following Christ and, and, and giving a, a, a your best to him each and every day, right? But he gives you that freedom, freedom to just be and live in his love, just as he did for Peter. And so today, if you're here and you don't know Christ, but you'd like to know more about Christ, I would just invite you to find me. Let's set up a time to go get some coffee or, or breakfast or something, and let's chat, let's talk about it. Because sin is not a game over. The resurrection changed everything. Uh, the scripture tells us in Romans 5, 8, that God showed his love to us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. When we didn't know Christ, when we didn't want anything to do with him, he came and died. Before we knew how to call his name, God came running after us, and God comes running after each one of us today, just like he came after Peter. His love changed everything. Would you pray with me today? Let's stand up. Father, I just come before you in Jesus' name, and I'm so thankful for every person that's here. God, I pray you're a blessing over their, their lives, over this word that they've heard. I pray that it would just sink into their hearts, God. Let it stir. Let it just, uh, let them be reminded of it throughout this week, Lord, as they move on and, and, and with the rest of this day and get back to work. I pray that that, that freedom that you uh, won for us on Calvary, Lord God, would just be applied in their lives, that they would just have a greater sense of your love. Lord, if there's anyone here walking uh, in shame, God, walking in guilt, I pray that they would just be uh, just soften their heart, just like you did with Peter. Draw them unto yourself. Help remind them that, they, that you love them, that you're with them, that you have great things for them, Lord. Lord, I pray a blessing over each family the rest of this day as we celebrate and just kind of hang out and rest. I pray that you would just go with us. Give us that, that new life, Lord, that peace that you gave to the disciples. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. It's so good to see you guys today. Don't forget we've got some Easter Sundays if you're up for that sort of thing at 11 o'clock in the morning. All right. Make sure you give someone a high five, handshake or a hug today. We thank you for listening to this Sunday service webcast from Cornerstone Church of Parker in Parker, Colorado. We hope that his truth has enriched your life and inspires you to greater works in God's kingdom. We invite you to worship with us in our Sunday morning service or join in our other ministry events posted on cornerstonechurchofparker.org. Cornerstone Church, built on the firm foundation of Jesus Christ and connecting people to God, each other, and to our world.